Hi there, and welcome to the fourth, no, it's the third edition of the Frontenders Kaleidoscope podcast. I'm your host, Skolk Nietling. This week, fostering a web performance culture, accessible landmarks, browsers, and image loading. Some interesting things came out in that uh, article. Some new tools, big releases, and as usual, some suggested listening. So let's dive right in. So let's jump right into some great posts that was posted over the last week or so. Much like we need to foster a culture of accessibility testing and testing itself, performance is one of those items that we need to be much more proactive about than we generally are. It's becoming more top of mind, uh, especially with Google pushing for performance in a lot of areas. But how do you create uh, and foster a web performance culture in an organization or on a team? Well, Jose Perez has written a great piece uh, that's very detailed that gives you six key areas that you need to to look at and be aware of. And to give you a kind of TLDR of this is test on hardware that is not your own. This is something we often forget. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. Test with throttle devices and slow connections. And there's so many tools available to us these days. Right in our browsers, we have dev tools that can, you know, emulate this to some degree. And then we have great stuff like Source Labs and Browser Test and all of that that can actually do it on actual devices. And the costs are often not prohibitive to do so. Other things to uh, do is learn the performance fundamentals, experiment and then validate your results from these experiments. Celebrate your successes and your failures. That's important. Not every performance experiment is going to be successful, and that's okay, because each failure brings you closer to a success. And then for all of this to work and to be part of how you work at your organization or in your team is to make performance part of your workflow. Like that is just with all of these things. If it doesn't fit neatly into our workflow, you might do it for a while, but it's going to fall by the wayside. A great article. Uh, I definitely suggest that you read it. Along the same lines, uh, there's a great post up from 15 experts share their web performance advice for 2018. And uh, some of the people that uh, gives their advice on this article as people like Stephen Judas, Chris Coyer, Peter Hedenscock, Peter Cooper, Harry Roberts, and Aaron Gustafsson. It's really a great article with a lot of great advice. Too much for me to go in in this uh, short podcast episode, but it's linked up in the show notes, and I definitely suggest you go give it a look. Moving on, a little bit of accessibility. Scott O'Hara wrote a great piece on his blog about accessible landmarks uh, and in this post he also um, talks about a extension that you can install in the browser that shows you the aria landmarks and allows you to navigate via those landmarks and um, it's really a great article i mean we've gotten a lot of these things for free with html5 just using semantic elements in our code but then we've got aria roles that we can use to basically stop gap 
and expose things to the accessibility tree uh, until we have more semantic elements or we might never have those elements and just need to use ARIA roles effectively to make a great accessible experience for all. Then I stumbled upon this um, post on how and when browsers download images. It looks at two scenarios basically used as when images are used as a background image in CSS and when they are actually used with the image tag. A very, very interesting read. Um, this is especially an interesting part on how Firefox loads images when you specify them with the image tag. It's quite interesting. Um, I'm not sure why the browser is working that way. It doesn't actually make any sense. I've raised this at Mozilla and um, hopefully we can get behind, <clears throat> behind why this is happening. And if this is not intentional, which I don't think it is, uh, get a bug on file and, and get this resolved. Because I, I can imagine sites that uh, uses images a lot like uh, Imager, Pinterest, those kinds of sites. I, I think they might be especially slow to load in Firefox, which is not great. Good article, definitely go read it. It's always nice to know about how the browsers work and what happens behind the scenes. It makes, uh, allows us to make more informed decisions about how we write our code. Then I've been talking about GraphQL quite a bit in some of these podcasts and in the show notes. And this week is uh, no different. Uh, John Rezik from jQuery fame and now a developer at Khan Academy for some time. Um, he and Lawrence Sands Ramshaw is writing a book titled GraphQL Guide. So at Khan Academy, they've started using GraphQL quite extensively. And John Rezik, along with Lauren, goes through their experience, um, moving away from a REST API to using GraphQL. And um, he wrote a really nice write-up about the transition they did and how they did it at Quan Academy and what you can expect from the book. I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's also a unique way in how they're releasing this book. It's actually more than just a book. I definitely um, encourage you to go take a look. Then on Medium, it's honestly, it's like one of the best posts I've ever read on getting into open source, why you should and what to, to be aware of when you get into open source. It, it's a great article. It's just heartfelt, no-nonsense, cut right to the core, all wrapped up nicely in real-world advice. It's great, great post from Ken Wheeler. He's the director of open source at Formidable. And uh, just go read it. it it's, it's a great read. It's, it's kind of long, but it's, it's totally worth your time. Then I've been writing CSS and building websites for quite some time. And while I've, uh, from time to time, I've glanced in the direction of certain things like Smacks and OCSS and BEM and, you know, all the other methodologies that, that's been making the rounds. But I've never really embraced any of these. I haven't actually really played with any of these, to be totally honest. But I feel like now that I'm working on bigger and bigger code bases, I can see the need for some kind of methodology of how you organize, how you write, and just have some rules and some standards that you follow in a code base to avoid all kinds of uh, bloat and problems just where things 
don't work the same across a code base and it makes it confusing and hard to, for new people to get involved and you know the learning curve is just hard and, and confusing sometimes. So I've been looking at various ones. So again, the ones like I mentioned, SMACs, OCSS or BEM. And it seems like BEM is the one that's winning out. And so I've been looking at that more and more and I got to an article called BEM for Beginners, Why You Need BEM. It's published on Smashing Magazine. It's a detailed, proper, full article on why you need BEM, what it is, how to apply it to your code base. And it, it takes it from the perspective of even if you're just a single developer on a project, you can benefit from what BEM gives you. Highly, highly recommend it. Staying with CSS, Keith Grant wrote a great post on what's different from CSS uh, and other programming languages. And there's really three key aspects, and that's that CSS is resilient, it's declarative, and highly contextual, something we often forget. Um, things like Shadow DOM and, and, and modules and CSS and JS and all those kinds of things, they're great and they, they, they solve some problems, but there's some aspects of it that just doesn't fit the way CSS works. CSS is highly contextual and uh, doesn't always fit in a modular box. And there's, there's often times when we actually do want globals, which is completely contradictory to what we generally want to do in JavaScript, for example. A great article. Um, it's great to be reminded of these things again and just think over them again. And, you know, the old adage of embrace the cascade. It just makes writing CSS a lot more fun. Great read again. Definitely suggest you go check it out. Right, let's look at some tools. Um, there's two specifically that I want to highlight this week. The first one I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, the Landmark browser extension. Um, it's a neat extension that's available for Chrome, Firefox, and Opera. And it allows you to navigate a web page using the Web Accessibility Initiative ARIA roles via a pop-up or keyboard shortcuts. And it's it's a nice thing from that perspective, but I really like it from the perspective that you can use this tool to see how navigable your website, your pages are. Uh, should somebody use either this tool or just want to use uh, the landmarks it's exposed to assistive technologies. So it has a dual purpose. It's, it's a nice little tool that you can use to jump around content on a website if they don't provide stuff like skip links and skip to content and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's, it's a great tool to test how accessible your website and your web pages are. So definitely go try that one out. I've been using it quite a lot and I, I really find it extremely useful. Then the folks from Netflix Engineering has released poly.js. So I'm going to quote directly from uh, a piece of their web page announcing the open source project. So, keeping fixtures and factories in parity with your APIs can be a time-consuming process. Poly alleviates this by recording and maintaining actual server responses without foregoing flexibility. Another way they put it is, it's a record, replay, and stub library for HTTP requests. It looks really interesting. 
Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly how I would use this in my day-to-day work, but it's definitely something to check out. And, I, and if you're a developer of APIs, especially APIs that are being used by third parties, this might be the, the saving grace that you've needed. So go check it out, poly.js. Link is in the show notes. Release watch. So this is the section where I highlight some releases in the open source world, specifically front-end related. Sometimes I'll throw in some just interesting open source projects that's had major new releases or releases you should be aware of. This week, Parcel has released version 192. There's a link to the full release post in the show notes, but some of the key things is they've added tree shaking, their watcher is now twice as fast as it used to be. Resolve file names are now cached. They've extended resolvers for SAS, LACE, and Stylus. So now you can load, for example, stuff directly from node modules using the tilde syntax. If you haven't seen this before, it's really, really cool. Uh, and it can make using ready-made CSS packages like, for example, modular scale SAS directly from NPM and easily require them, like, at import them inside your CSS directly from node modules without having to weirdly copy things around at build time and all kinds of stuff like that. It's, it's really neat. So um, just the fact that they've added that makes me really happy. And they've improved uh, the browser error reporter. There's more to it and more details to each of these sections in their blog post, as I said, which is linked in the show notes. Moving on, Gatsby has released... Uh, a beta of their v2 go check it out if you use gatsby uh, it's uh, highly likely that you do they're quite a popular project now a popular startup so go have a look at the release and the release notes then there's a new nice color picker that's been released it's a no dependency js color picker called picker and uh, version 0.1.3 was released in the last week then from Google, they've released an update to Workbox, the service worker PWA, ready-built components and improved workflow and just make doing all that stuff easier all in one utility has reached version 3.3.0. Go check that out. And then ESLint has made a big release, version 5.0.0, which means there are going to be breaking changes in this release. So head over to the release post and they've got a migration guide and you can make sure that if any of the baking changes affects you, how to migrate over from ESLint Forex to the new version 5. Moving on to some stuff to watch. So along the lines of a performance and uh, creating a performance culture and testing on real devices and devices that's not yours, Bruce Lawson gave a great talk at the... Uh, Frontiers conference in 2016 that's still really, really relevant and I would definitely suggest it. It's called the World Wide Web, not the Wealthy Western Web. Uh, definitely go go check it out. It's uh, worth your time. Then more things performance because I, I guess performance is front of mind for me. So I'm just, if I see something on performance, I tend to watch, read, listen to it because, you know, I want to learn more about this. Do this. Uh, Tammy Everts gave a great, a great talk. She's from Sp- Speedcurve, 
and the talk is called The Hunt for the Unicorn Performance Metric. Because when we're testing our performance, we, we often log things to something like Google Analytics, or maybe we use a more dedicated tool like Speed Curve, or, and we include user timing metrics that's you know, called RUM metrics, real user metrics, that is then exposed inside DevTools, inside the Performance tab. But what do we really test? What is really the thing? What is that metric, that golden standard that we can all agree to and say, this is the thing that really is our key performance indicator and the thing that we should really be looking at. So it's a very insightful video. She goes, talks about all the different things and how Speedcurve thinks about this and how they calculate things and how the graphs and bars and it's a lot of information, but it's super useful and she does a really good job of explaining it. And it's not Speedcurve centric at all. These are things you can do whether you're using Speedcurve or not. Um, and I've got this, but Speedcurve does give you some nice tools that you don't get if you're not using Speedcurve. Um, and their Euro timing is um, especially interesting. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes as well as to the video itself. Okay, we're almost at the end of this week's podcast. But before I do close out, let's look at the browser land. Firefox 61 has been promoted from beta to release. And there's a ton of new things for, for developers. I'm going to highlight a couple of, of them here. The Accessibility Inspector has been implemented. And there's some great docs written by Chris Mills that helps you, uh, introduces you to the Accessibility Inspector and how to use it. As in Chrome, CSS variables now autocomplete. When you hover over them, they show you a little swatch and what the color value is. The network monitor's detail pane now includes a cache tab, which displays information about previously cached resources. Then something that's important to know is that grid gap, grid row gap, and grid column gap, those properties have been renamed to gap, row gap, and column gap, as they are no longer grid specific. In lieu of Shadow DOM landing in Firefox 62, there is now support for the host pseudo class in Firefox 61. On the JavaScript side, the string.prototype.trim start and trim end functions has been implemented. And also the performance server timing API has been implemented. So some really great new things, and, and that's just some of the highlights. There's a lot more, and there's a link in the show notes to the complete release notes over on MDN Web Docs. And to close out this week, as I always do, some suggested listening on other podcasts that I enjoy. First is from the Shop Talk Show. It was an episode entitled Customer Experience with Gary McGovern, and it's a spirited and super interesting talk about user experience and the art and science behind it. And uh, the TLDR is honestly care about your customers and users. That That is key. If, if you honestly care, you will do the right things and you will improve the things that your users actually want and not what you think they should want or what's important to you, but what's important to your users. It's a great talk. Jerry is absolutely wonderful, inspiring, and uh, you'll just go away from this talk wanting to just make your web app, website, whatever it might be that you're working on, better for your users. 
And secondly, over on JS Party, the title of the, the episode is kind of funny. Do what every developer does. Blame other people. <laughs> but that's not really what it's about. Nick Nisi, Susenton, and Jared Santo talk about their go-to methods for debugging in the browser. And they share some really neat tips that you may not know about DevTools and a section they call JavaScript can do that. Really a great listen. And uh, links to both of these again in the show notes. That is it for this edition of the Front Enders Kaleidoscope. As always, you can find the show notes on Medium. The link you can follow is bit.ly forward slash fkpodcast003. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash fkpodcast003. If you enjoy this podcast at all, um, I'd love to get your feedback. So, you know, star hard favorite it in your podcatcher of choice. And if you have a moment, uh, a little couple of stars and an honest review on um, Apple Podcasts really goes a long way for me to know, is this worth it? Um, do you find it useful? Should I continue doing this? And suggestions on what I'm not doing that you would like me to do. I am open and happy to hear from everyone and uh, I look forward to next week. So go out there, make something amazing and as always, stay curious. Cheers.